It seems that our ordinary posture toward others these days is one of disagreement. At least if the news, social media, or politicians are any kind of metric for gauging this, which one can only hope they are not. What is at least increasingly evident, something that has been building, I think, for quite some time, is that we are losing our ability to disagree well. That is, we're losing our ability to disagree with others without alienating ourselves from those with whom we might disagree, even when these persons are our families and friends. In keeping with the spirit of discernment in this season of incarnation, I want to unpack our lectionary passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians this morning as a way to understand how we share life with others, especially with those with whom we might find ourselves in disagreement on any given day. This is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, and our lectionary has a, a, a narrow portion of this, but I'm going to read most of it uh, this morning, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. He destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He lavished upon us. With all wisdom and insight, He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to recapitulate all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in Him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people, to the praise of His glory. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, and for this reason I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. 
I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In these introductory comments, Paul offers a robust understanding of the relation between human action and divine agency. To make this a little bit easier to work through, let me highlight the, the progression that Paul is making here in Ephesians chapter 1. God has blessed us in Christ. God has chosen us in Christ before the foundations of the world. God destined us for adoption through Christ. God has bestowed grace on us in the Beloved. In Christ, we have redemption through the blood of Christ. Through Christ, the mystery of God's will is made known. The will of God was to recapitulate all things in heaven and earth in Christ. In Christ, we are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And last but not least, God worked the works of divinity in humanity through the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. In the midst of this densely packed theological argument about how God has given humanity a share in divine agency through the activity of the Messiah, Paul offers a prayer. And Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is essentially that all of what Paul has just described, everything that he just laid out, as the will and work of God in Christ would be made manifest in the church at Ephesus. Indeed, Paul even tells the Ephesians that this is what they're experiencing already. They are living out the work that God has placed within them through the action of Jesus Christ. The purpose of incarnation that Paul describes here 
is to recapitulate all things in Christ. What does recapitulation mean here? To say that God has recapitulated everything in Jesus of Nazareth is captured in Paul's use of adoption. Paul says that we are marked for adoption in Christ before the foundations of the world, which is to say that God created us for the purpose of redeeming us. To put it differently, God created us for the singular purpose of uniting us in love, the love who is Jesus Christ. Love is the agency of God in Christ that works itself out in us as we work the works of God. What does this mean? If God is love, and if Christ has recapitulated all things in himself, then we are created by love and for love in order that love incarnate might work itself out in us so that we might live for the praise of love. Lest we think that this notion of love is abstract, in Ephesians 2, Paul describes what this love enacts among the adopted. Christ, says Paul, has created a new humanity where there was once two humanities. Here he refers to Jews and Gentiles, and Paul says there are no longer two groups of humans. Rather, there is one, all of whom, ha who have, all of whom have been reconciled in Christ. In his flesh, writes Paul, Christ made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall between us. Think of the many ways that we separate and divide ourselves from others. We create divisions based on political ideals, skin color, ethnicity, education, wealth, social status, personality traits, and so much more. And Paul tells the Ephesians that when all things are recapitulated in Christ, these fictitious divisions created by the will of humans are exposed for what they truly are, contrived. In chapter 2, verse 10, Paul makes his point quite clear, saying, We are what God has made us. We are not what anyone might say we are or who we might think we are. That is, we might think that we are in the right, that we are the social elite, or perhaps we have simply grown to think of ourselves as lesser than we are based on some societal expectation. Yet Paul reminds us that we are what we are based on who God has made us 
to be. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he will say that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by him. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Knowledge often leads to division if this knowledge is not grounded in love. This is what it means to see with the eye of the heart. When we see with our heart, says Paul, we do not see others as objects of our own wills or desires. We do not even see them as objects of love. Rather, we see all people as fellow participants in the agency of love. We see all people and all things within the movement of Christ in our midst, who is actively working out God's love in us and in the world. We have only to attend to what God is already doing in us, by us, and through us, if we would experience the truth of who we really are. When we do, we realize that there is nothing, there is nothing that divides us, save that which is contrived by a knowledge gained in the absence of love. When we attend to the work of love in us, however, when we open ourselves to being performed by Christ in us, then are we freed from the bondage of our own wills, desires, and divisions, so to inhabit the freedom of the grace that inhabits us. We will never find ourselves in complete agreement with anyone. This is a rather boring prospect anyway. Nevertheless, if we are to disagree well, if we are to imagine ourselves as more than our disagreements with others, we must give our full attention to the grace that is at work in us, the same grace that opens us to receive others for who God has recapitulated them in Christ with us to become. Only when we are known by God in our differences from each other will we come to know who God in Christ has adopted us to be, children of the living God, a people who live together in love. Amen.